What's up, metalheads? Welcome to another episode of the Talk Louder podcast, where we geek out on all things rock and roll. Hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel. Leave us your likes and comments. You can also leave likes and comments on our Facebook page. Follow us on iTunes and Spotify. Also, Instagram at talklouder underscore podcast and our website, talklouderpodcast.com. I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with my co-host, Jason McMaster. And before we announce tonight's guest, today's guest, rather, uh, Jason, you got something you want to share with us? I, how are you doing, Dave? How's it going? I'm doing well. Yeah, awesome. I'm doing great. Yeah. I, I have a talk louder boast and brag. Oh. Show and tell, if you will. Yeah. I uh, recently, as we all, anyone who's anyone, went and saw the Judas Priest was in town fairly recently a friend of mine bob sutcliffe came down and uh we sat together at the show and sang painkiller together you know it was awesome yeah. he took some photos and unbeknownst to me i didn't know it was going to happen i walked to the mailbox today well a box ended up on the porch he's he came down from kansas city so yeah i remember he told me uh dude these were taken with his phone and this is like you probably can't see them very well especially if you're listening but yeah. <laughs> uh they, he took these with his phone wow uh, and it's just it kind of captured the the vibe of the whole thing yes i love the lights uh, it's so yeah it's amazing yeah uh, and, like and there's some close-ups too this is for people in uh in you know listen land and not youtube land um you know it's the bow at the very end of the show uh glenn. It, it might glenn. even be no glenn's not in in the bow in the holding hands bow all five guys up front glenn is not in the photo oh he, but he was at the show he, he was, was at, at the show maybe yeah. this was the first encore before before glenn came out oh that must be it because i've seen photos with yeah. glenn doing the the bow oh, they, at the I mean, end you of know the they came out and did it again you know yeah and here's the yeah. the second one and i don't i can't really tell what's going on but it's very interesting uh it's richie and rob of course they're the new 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 version of the dynamic duo wow and uh richie's like clapping his hands in the air or he's like about to bow down to the metal god or something yeah. but yeah. i just can't believe he took these with his phone i mean yeah. obviously our seats were fairly decent for yeah, him to the, be able to the, zoom in and get all those lines the color and i love the way all the spotlights are cutting through the 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 darkness and yeah yeah and i think this is towards the very end though because the banner is down and it says the priest will be back that was so right at the end yeah. yeah that's at the end so that's that's a good here and here's the the grand finale uh for me which is my favorite of course it's rob solo with his santa claus beard yeah because you know I, everybody knows i love oh, rob yeah. and i can call it the santa claus beard if yeah. i want yeah and that's just him sort of like solemnly you know making eyes with the audience yeah and, that's great uh, again the you, lights thank you bob amazing. sutcliffe yeah thank bob you, sent bob me um i gotta give a, a shout to bob he sent me a, a little package in the mail and it was a a bunch of um iron maiden ballpoint pens 
that have the maiden I got some, logo. I got Did some you get of those some too. of those? Yeah. 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 yeah, what a sweetheart. Yeah, I mean, for a guy that lives out of state to put all that stuff in the mail and send it to us, that's uh, very you know, is cool. It, is, or is it kind of like, uh, man, I have all this badass shit. I, I can't. I don't have anywhere to put it, so I'm just right. sending it to Jason and Dave because obviously they have room. Wait a minute. Right. Yeah. Does he think gonna, that we have you know room? What? I think we. You know what we should start doing? Me and you should start sending stuff back to Bob. I have his address. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> I got to get some more wall space. Maybe send I the, can uh, unload send the some silliest of this stuff. heavy metal care packages that we can think of to Bob. Here, here. It's time for you to store this shit for me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he would yeah. love it. He yeah. would love it. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm sure he would. He's, um, he's one of us for sure. Our guest today is uh, yes is an old old friend of mine, but I don't want to that to cloud any uh, accolades because the guy is just a he's one of the most badass drummers in the world. He's from Texas. He's from San Antonio, and some people don't even realize that unless they read a bio or or just get you know, get to know him a little bit in his background, but from San Antonio, it turns out that he was, uh, uh, sort of a service brat like you. Yeah. 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 Uh, I learned that about that. He was, he was born in Germany. Tell him who it is, Dave. Uh, his name, he's got the coolest name, dude. Yes, he uh, does. His name is Dave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his name is Dave McLean, uh, drummer extraordinaire. You know him best as the drummer of 23 years with Machine Head. Jason and I know him from back in his days in S.A. Slayer um, from San Antonio. Uh, he's currently in Sacred Reich for the second time. And uh, he was once in a band with Neil Turbin, the original singer for Anthrax. Um, and he's done a few other things in between. Uh, those are the things you would know him most from. Um, and we've been trying to get him on the show of, uh, a few times. And uh, I actually saw him when he was in town. And so did you. I think we missed each other. But we both uh, ran into Dave McLean when Sacred Reich was out with Sepultura recently. Mm -hmm. um, he is home from tour in his drum studio, joining us today to kind of catch up and uh share his history and past present future all that good stuff and Let i know me give you have the warning 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 this is a two-hour episode yeah <laughs> so drink some coffee yeah or if you commute you can listen you don't have to listen to it all in one swipe you know that's what the pause button is for yeah you're you can pause and go to work and then listen to the rest of it on your commute home and then if you, if that doesn't take up two hours, you can go to sleep, wake up in the morning and listen to the rest of it at, at that moment. Because yeah. uh, we didn't want to cut him off. We didn't want to, we wanted to hang out with him. The dude is completely lovable and everyone who has worked with him or met him knows that he is the real deal. Uh, he's the nicest guy. He, he tells the truth. And yeah. Um, He's just the sweetest guy ever. And before I just start crying because I love Dave McClain so much, uh, everyone, uh, everyone just know that uh, we are excited to have Mr. David McClain on the Talk Louder podcast today. Please enjoy. Uh, you know, uh, he was going to, uh, McClain was going to tell us about his studio because I was watching 
that like the day to day on the construction of that drum studio that he sits in now. So wow. I was familiar with it via, you know, Twitter or just socials. Yeah. And and Dave tell you had a guy build it and you it's a riser. You're in your garage, right? Well, yeah. You had, you had somebody build a riser first. What's under the floor? How do you what's right. going Tell us about how that construction of that drum studio. Right. So I can see both of you guys now, by the way. I just figured it out. Um, so, yeah. So I um, that's always been one of my big dream things is to have a drum studio in, at my house, you know. And up until six years ago, I never didn't even have a house. So, um, so we've, got, we've got this house up in Wisconsin in Oshkosh. And um, so I had hired this guy who... Um, he had, he, he's a great builder and he hadn't really ever done any, like a soundproof room or anything. And, um, but he had the, he had looked it up. He, he had these plans for it and everything. So what he did was, so it's a room within the garage, right? Yeah. And what he did was he lifted it off the ground. So the sound would kind of stop there and not be, right on the ground and then he built the, so the room within the room so the whole thing um is about six inches away from the actual garage wall and it's two walls on each side so the drum room is double drywall um insulation double drywall on the inside and the same for the ceiling the floor everything it, it, it's it's so crazy and it's only about I mean, you could see it's only about eight by eight in here, maybe nine, nine by nine, maybe. Yeah, it looked like but, you can tell how how close your symbols are to the foam, to the wall. Right. How that's yeah. a bit that it's a bit small, but uh, the fact that, and I wanted to comment just so nerds nerds may unite that they say that dead space, dead air is the best uh, volume control. Like yes. You have a wall, and then you have a wall. That space in between, where there's absolutely nothing, is what's going to stop the sound before it hits the outside. Right. That's the best. The best soundproofing. You know, it's it's kind of funny because when we were kids playing in garage, we all 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 we wanted to do was like collect egg crates. You know what I mean? Because we thought that was going to stop yeah. the sound, but Doesn't it seemed like it made the police come over. Yeah. Faster. You yeah. Know? They just follow the rotten egg smell. <laughs> so if, yeah. You're, yeah. if you're banging away in that studio, Dave, and someone's yeah. in the house, can they hear you just a little bit or not at all? Yeah. So you can, you can hear. Um, so my wife, my wife works from home. So she's, she's in, in the room closest to the garage, which is about uh garage is probably about, about 15 feet away from the house and um so it almost sounds like you can more hear just like the the a little bit of low end from the bass drum so it almost sounds like like a car when it drives by when they're playing you know like music and you can hear it just like poof, poof. it's yeah. it's not sub. quite that that annoying but yeah the just sub, a little bit of the sub subtones yeah so whose idea was the drum studio yours or hers <laughs> <laughs> right i know i know where that question i know the seed of the no, it's a pretty it's a fair question right totally dude it is a fair question but it's uh 
No, I think she'd, she'd be happy. She would be fine. Well, I don't know about fine, but she would probably, you know, she'd be, she'd be totally cool with whatever I had to do to play drums, you know? Um, but yeah, it's like I said, it's always been, you know, Jason, like back going way back to the Ricky Warheights house, you know, back in the SA Slayer days, it's like, I used to, I used to sit there and imagine like having a drum room, but back then my, my ultimate drum room was, um, just a wall of PA facing me with my drums mic'd up and, you know, it's like fast forward 40 years and we've all got hearing loss from, from playing live music, you know? So that's, <laughs> yeah, these things, yeah, these yeah. are the, well, so, I don't, you know, people don't realize, I mean, you know, people who don't play music, they just play the stereo really fucking loud. God bless them because especially if they're listening to songs we wrote, right? Right. So that's the beauty of this whole thing. But here you go. So they're going deaf from listening and we're going deaf from creating <laughs> until we circle of life. Right. <laughs> until we get smart enough to realize it's like, oh shit, I'm hindering my career by you know, having a wall of PA just blow my brains yeah. out. Or even putting, I mean, just being a drummer. I mean, people who don't play drums as a job, they don't realize how loud snare, crash, they don't know how loud that is. Just, yeah. it's right under your face. And you're it's doing right there. it every day. So imagine what that's doing to your ears for years and years and years, decades. Yeah, and, and you're having to play, drummers having to play louder and louder to, you know, because... Yeah, I was going to say, you know, and marshals and stuff. That's before you mic it up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My my kid, uh, he's fourteen years old. You met him at the yeah, at, yeah. At the Sepultura show in Austin. Um, he plays drums, and he's got a monster kid upstairs, and it's not mic'd, and he certainly doesn't have a drum studio like you have. So I keep telling my wife, we're either the coolest parents on the planet, or we're completely out of our minds. Because it creates a hell of a racket when he plays, you know. But of course, we want to yeah. support him, and he's and he's really good at it. So uh, we try to cope the best we can, whether that means going downstairs and locking myself away in a room. And thankfully, the neighbors are cool with it. But I can certainly vouch for the fact that a, even an unmiked drum kit in in your house will make oh my one God. hell of yeah. a racket. Yeah. So my next yeah, question so you, is: Do you yeah. cut? Do you cut tracks, at least demos? Do you have a recording machine in there that your yeah. your microphones well, are hitting? Are they triggers or mics? No, no, I've got I've got everything That's everything like mic'd up. Yeah. Yeah, I've got it, it's a small like you know, like it's a small room. So I've got one I've got one overhead and I've only got eight channel. I've got like a you know, like a Behringer yeah. interface. And um so yeah, I've got everything mic'd one one overhead, which is perfect. And, um, and it goes into my, my laptop over here. Yeah. You can kind of see over there. Yeah, of course. And, um, so yeah, that's a I nice mean, room. You, that's a nice yeah. room. It, it, it's perfect. It's, yeah. um, you know, it, it's not the biggest room and it's, it's, but it's, man, I'll tell you what, like I come out here, like I'm literally out here for at least four hours a day, you know? Oh yeah. Just, pl just playing. And I'm, I've turned into uh, you know, a record thing. I mean, me and you have recorded 
you know, done, done tons of covers over the years, you know, and like, um, so, and, you know, being, being here and sacred right guys are in Phoenix. Um, you know, when it comes time to do like Phil will send me, you know, demo songs and everything. And I'll just, you know, they'll send them without, they'll send them with like an, like an easy drummer thing. I tell them just put a basic idea, no fills, no nothing, just a basic drum machine idea. And then I put them in here, you know, and, and mess around with them. And it, it's so great, man. It's just like, it, I have a, I have a question about your, that creating process. Do you, cause it's, it just depends. Sometimes if you put like a loop, like a, you know, a kick snare, kick snare, kick snare, sometimes that like blows it for the drummer's creative palette because then they get married to this. Oh man, they want me to play straight right here, you know, and it turns it into right. stock. Yeah. And do they send you a track that you can mute that track so you can put your vibe so you can play the riff right because they're yeah, probably riffing yeah, yeah. and they got a tick-tock tick-tock and you want to play the riff with them and if there's a a, a kick snare kick snare you're like wow oh, that's messing up what i want to do because you want to like accent a vocal or a guitar you know a push or a pull or whatever and uh, do they yeah. send you a, a separate track with that fake drum yeah they do they send Excellent. me so I'll, yeah so i'll just have the idea i'll listen to that and i um, and you know, once you, once I start, I'll put it in without the drum track and I just go and, um, I never really, uh, as far as like, you know, getting married to a certain part or whatever, like once I start going, once I, you know, cause actually that will help me. I kind of do the opposite of get married to a part. Cause if I hear a certain thing, it'll make me go outside of that, you know, and try different things. Mm -hmm. And I can just try it. it. It's so cool, man. And then once we get into the recording studio, then, then you, then you really start trying things, you know, and pre and real pre-production. And, um, I think that's, that's one of the things definitely over, over the years. And it takes, I think some people, some people can do that. And some people never do is, is not to be married to a part. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. because once you get in the studio, somebody else has an idea, the producer could have an idea and, you know, it's all, it's all part of the creative thing to me. Sure. And if somebody else has an idea, like, let's do it. If it, you know, if it's going to make them happy with that part, then by all means, you know, you know what I've done, I've done uh, before is write a batch of songs, not, not a whole record, but five songs or whatever, before we record them for real, you know, sure, right. we demo them out and rehearse them up as a band, but then start playing them live before you go in the studio. You That's... play them fucking things live, and you, you, then you go, man, we recorded that too slow. Man, we recorded that too fast. I yeah. want to change this part because you've tried them on. It's like getting to walk around in a new pair of shoes before you pay for them. Totally. And, and so that has, it was broken teeth actually wrote five songs, started playing live immediately and found some of them were sour apples. And some of them we morphed into these badass tunes. That's be cool. Before we record the song. Have you ever done that before with any of your bands? I don't, I don't think so. I think probably like the only band we really ever did that in was, uh, it was like S.A. Slayer, you know, because oh, we just okay, played yeah. gigs before we got into the thing. But, course, um, yeah. yeah, other than that, 
we've never really it's been a problem really been yeah yes. but that's cool though because even because even after you do record the song and you play those live like they always you know that was one thing with um in in machine head we started running everything the whole show we just ran on a click right mm -hmm. and but they were they get were clicks lit, that click. i made get get, get lit, lit click, click. Yeah. Click. Yeah. Um, so, but they were, they were clicks that I made kind of based on live recordings that we, you know, because we did it way after the fact, like started using um, click tracks live. So I would go in and sometimes I would just do the, they were the craziest click tracks because you would, you would slow things down. Sometimes I'd slow things down in the middle of a verse, you know, getting ready for a, like a chorus slow down. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So that was, that's cool. Like, going back on things and because once you start playing the song live it just takes on this whole other you know yeah. uh, dynamics so and everything so you were in that you were pro you were uh basically programming the the click to have the emotional value the song yes. needed from you playing it live so many times already right you were going hey stop hold on a second so this part feels like it needs to like swell a little bit and this this thing needs to like so by yeah. the time it gets to the next section it's going to blow up da, 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 da. so you're programming you've got a robot in your head telling you where to like come in like you know to like do this wave thing this pull down and then this like blast at the end yeah of it. yeah totally that's, that's just smart that's called and you know yeah yeah, and the songs that that because they were already doing that, we just did those naturally live, and then we to get that on a click track was like really tricky, because yeah. you know because playing we in Sacred Reich we did one of the records we did um, independent we did it with Dave Jordan, and um, uh, he wanted everything done to a click, you know, and mm. so we were like, oh man, you know, some of these parts they just and he wanted it, it was like a click the whole one one tempo the whole way right and and it was just like man these this is weird we want to pull back on these and he and he, you know he was like nobody will ever even notice that but i still notice it to this day when i listen back to the song i'm like ah you know but <laughs> well someone's gonna think, say you're not gonna notice that it it, it but they're not playing the song right yeah i think he just wanted us out of the studio he, he had just he had just done the alice in chains album dirt and i think he, right wow yeah i think he was just like get these get these guys we were just part of like the you know conveyor belt coming in oh you know laverne yeah. and shirley putting the caps on the bottle like <laughs> there they go well he so, was busy quick. he was busy for a minute wasn't he Dave? oh Jordan? yeah yeah quick, oh, quick sidebar dave how, how long have you been in wisconsin i don't think i knew that been here um almost two years it'll be two years in october okay and yeah what, what took you out to wisconsin um i've got i've got step family up here okay and um so about six years ago we we're just you know living living in california or whatever you're always kind of looking you're looking at other places i would always look at houses and you know like one dream was like to live in Nashville or to live, you know, whatever. And, um, you asked me about Austin then, a couple of times. Yeah. Austin's like getting so, so crazy and so expensive now. Yeah, you don't want it's, to come here, man. No, it's, I'm it's, trying to get out yeah. of here. 
Well, it's, <laughs> it's, that's funny because, um, now people are looking, I've, I've heard this from a few people where they're kind of migrating towards San, like the San Antonio area, because mm-hmm. I guess San Antonio is becoming cool. And, um, I mean, it's, it's always been, a, it's always uh, been, it's always been cool. cool. It's yeah. always been kind yeah. of cool, but yeah, but it's a great. It's like anybody's hometown. It's a great place to leave. Oh man, I grew up here. It's you know you get tired. Yeah. of it, but so that, you, that's that's more what I meant by that because sure. I do love San Antonio. But yeah. yeah, that's like up here. This is a place that you get the hell out of, you know? Right. And and um, so moving up here was you know at, the, at this. But you're you're always looking at houses and stuff, and you're seeing what you know. We just happened to run across this one, and my um, my stepmom is a realtor up here, and she happened to be the realtor for the house. Whoa! And and it was just so cheap that that I was like, God, let's just get it, you know. And even if we go up and visit a couple times a year, that's you know whatever. And so you know, once once COVID hit and all everything happened, everything shut down, we just decided to. Um, give it a shot, move up here. And, you know, the thought of having a drum room for me was very, very appealing. Yeah. You know, so. And did I read somewhere that you were born in Germany? I was my, uh, my, my dad was, my dad was air force. So just kind of you too. Yeah. So when did you leave Germany? Were you old enough to remember Germany at all? No, we were, I think the, Anytime we were stationed, it was usually a couple of years. So, yeah. But, you know, San Antonio, Lackland Air Force Base was always like the hub back and forth. So it was like Germany, San Antonio, Hawaii, San Antonio. And then um, we moved, we did two years in Crete and Greece and then back to San Antonio for for good. And I think my, my dad, my dad retired pretty, pretty soon after that. Wow, that's almost oh. my story exactly. Except I, I was in England for three years. I wasn't born. Oh there. wow! I was born in San Antonio because Dad was in the Air Force and stationed in San Antonio. Then we went overseas, spent three years in England. I was around between eight and eleven. The reason I ask is because I wanted to know if you were old enough in Germany to have Germany influence your music, you know, your musical taste or your exposure or whatever. Oh, right. You're obviously too young. But same thing. We went back and forth between San Antonio, did three tours, and Dad retired in San Antonio. So, almost the same story as yours. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted that, to see if Germany that is had cool though. Too. When you're when you're around, like you were saying, you were eight to eleven, being yeah. being in another country, and it's kind of the same. Like being over, being in Greece, like being a kid, especially there, it was it was awesome because we really didn't have any TV or anything. So. Um, so it's just like you always had to do stuff. And um, funny yeah. enough, though, the, I was in I was in fourth, I think it was fourth grade. And they, they had offered us um, in school, they had offered us um, an elective class. So what the choices were um, Russian, because I guess they were like, you know, maybe priming some of the kids up to be spies or something. Who knows? Right. But um latch hook rug making wow. and um and drums oh. so <laughs> okay so this is all starting to make sense <laughs> no it doesn't because i took latch hook rug making <laughs> i wanted a snoopy rug so bad that uh and i made it oh 
Awesome. Wow. Yeah. yeah, I made wow. a Snoopy rug. It was like about two two by two. And uh look yeah. at that. Look at that, folks. The things you learn on the Talk Louder podcast. The great <laughs> Dave McLean I, I, I once tried his hand at latch hook rug making. I thought I hey, knew man. Dave McLean. I'm learning about <laughs> Dave McLean. You only know half the me. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I my my mother is and and then we'll get off the topic. My mother is second generation Greek. So while we were in England, we actually went to Greece on vacation and stayed with some of her relatives in, right. at their house. So we weren't staying in a hotel with all the other tourists. We were actually living the life. And uh, I was old enough, of course, to remember it. And it's le it left a mark. And yeah, I'm just grateful that a lot of those things I was old enough to remember. And for me, the reason I asked is because I remember living in England, watching Top of the Pops oh, on man. TV, and that that was one of my earliest musical memories. And I was curious to know if you had any of the same with Germany. No, I no, I wish I wish some of that. I yeah, I didn't have any really any musical influence until um, like really when we got back. You know, yeah. Other San Antonio, than that, it was like your your roots of drumming are in San Antonio. Tell us about your earliest days and briefly mention uh you know maybe your first couple of bands before you actually wrote a song and recorded it kind of thing and then we'll go through a little bit of retrospect from that point yeah all right yeah so um started playing started playing drums when i was 11 and um and just kind of like you know just playing in my in my room you know I, my parents tolerated me to play drums in, in the in the room and um you know, really, it was the the person who really got me into actually playing in a band was Don Van Stavern, mm. bass player from from S.A. Slayer and Riot. And so, how, how old were he, you were you when you met him? Eleven, twelve? No, I may have been twelve or thirteen. Definitely thirteen, because my first show ever was playing. Uh, maybe I just turned fourteen. I don't know. Maybe fourteen because. My first show ever was playing his sister's little Halloween party to like 10 kids, you know, oh. and I was petrified. I, I didn't want to do it. And Don, you know, like I was, I was a pretty shy kid, you know, and, um, and so I would have never, ever made the move on my own to, to be in a, to do anything like that. So Don was like, come on, well, you know, it's going to be, you know, kill. cause Don was like this kid. He was like Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley all wrapped up in, to one kid and he's like 13 you know 14 years old you know and he's like it'll be killer you know we'll play and we did we played we played this show and it was we played like you know thin lizzie ufo kiss songs judas priest i remember playing um take on the world by judas priest and i was it's like the slowest duke duke back at the and i remember playing that and i remember being so tired like my legs were just like worn out from playing take on the world and um but you know that was that was like the the beginning of everything where you know and um i'm just gonna say this right now that last little story about playing the halloween party at age like 14 playing and by those bands who i still i'm wearing a thin lizzy shirt right now i have those posters still on my walls yeah and i'm an old man and i see some behind you you have you have the same shit behind you this may be the, my favorite part of this interview i'm just gonna say Dude, it's, just hearing it's you all, just hearing you tell that story right there. This might be the the 
my favorite part of this episode. Who are your drum, <laughs> who are your drum heroes when you're exposed to that sort of music and Vance Davern is kind of pushing you and so you, you, you start, I guess, taking drums a little more seriously? Who are you emulating? Who's your, who are you looking up to? Yeah, so, I mean, Peter Chris was my first dude and Peter Chris was, I think Peter Chris was like my, you know, I always hear like a lot of like drummers older, a little older than me talk about the Beatles and how, um, how Ringo Starr is, was their guy where they could actually play what he was playing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, to a, to an extent, I mean, Ringo is amazing, but just how basic it was. And that was the thing with Peter Chris, I think like I could actually play, I was like, wow, I'm playing songs, you know? And then, um, I'm staring at this album cover up here is, is Judas Priest Unleashed in the East. And so that was one of my next dudes, Les you know, Binks. cause, uh, yeah, Les Binks, like listening to stained class. And then when this album came out, it was just, it was like such hot rotted, um, double bass drum. Cause they took those songs that they had done slower on the other, on the studio records and Les Binks just sped them up with double bass and crazy fills. So that opened up a whole thing right there, you know, him, Tommy Aldridge and Neil Peart, you know, of course. Yeah. Um, so those are probably like a few of my main, main dudes, you know, and, and so having Don around, so Don was in this, Don was in and out of this band called, called Seance. Okay. And um, they were a nice cover band and they had like a few originals or whatever. And so, it kind of got me, it kind of pushed me into that thing too, you know? And, um, so, and that, those guys, like once, a, you know, I joined, I joined with them and we were playing gigs all the time, you know, we we're just playing anywhere. We play high schools. We play, I think our first gig was like playing this guy's new year's, new year's Eve party. I think it was like ringing in 1980 or something. It was so crazy. And he paid us in bags of weed. <laughs> Whoa. And and his name was Rick Pache, and he ended up. It was a. We used to play this strip club called Sugars. That was over on. I think it was on Blanco. And and that, that was crazy too because I'm like 15 years old, and we're playing in between strippers, and we're sharing a dressing room with strippers, and it, it, like, like what the. <laughs> That's when like, you this realize, is great. This is for you, right? <laughs> yeah. I, like, I know, mean, I was still scared. I was it, still this scared uh, kid, but who said that playing cover songs it doesn't equal some <laughs> some type of sex education? <laughs> yeah. Oh no man. As far as you know, no one's breaking any laws other than you got paid in weed. Right. And okay, yeah. well, let's add some more offenses here because <laughs> yeah. you guys are underage in a bar are they serving under alcohol? yeah underage in a strip bar yeah oh, yeah okay with weed yeah with, but nothing yeah. nothing to see oh, here no. folks <laughs> no, nothing going much, on man. we're all eight we're all 18 yeah um, sure so yeah so that that guy that we played that party for ended up buying that club and he turned it into this place called the rock and roll connection which was um it was like kind of became our like our home base you know we were kind of like the house he bought the venue the he bought the venue and turned it into a venue yeah 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 they put this horrible like painting of a like dude playing guitar on the side and and um 
And I remember it was pretty funny because he'd always have like on the weekend, he'd always do these like menudo cookouts. Right. And, um, and all of a sudden it became like, like there were all these banditos just hanging at this club all the time. And it was just like, it was nuts, like stuff always going down. It was just, you know, fights all the time. And, you know, like I remember one time it was like this, this guy drinking, drinking at the bar and, and Rick, the owner was like, Oh, that'll be, you know, $12, whatever. And he pulls out his brat. He goes, all I got is a five. And Rick's like, Hey, today's free beer day. So it was right. like, you know, things like that, but, but it was killer. Cause we played, you know, we played out all the time and, and, um, and I loved it. You know, I went from like this sh super shy kid to, you know, to like playing shows. Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, you know, like, and, um, you know, and me and Don had that, had that idea, like, this is what we're going to do. And then, and then I got kicked out of that band because they found a drummer with a PA system. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know how I heard Ozzy got the Black Sabbath gig? He had a PA, had a PA system. system. Dude, That's how David Lee Roth got the Van Halen gig, too. Is it really? Yeah. That's yeah. so classic. It wasn't because he that could is... sing. <laughs> oh, it's crazy, man. So let, let's run through your let's run through your chronology or chronologic. I can never say that word. Um, but so so you're already hooked up. You're already hooked up with Don uh, at an early yeah. age. So how long until you guys start the infamous essay Slayer? How old are you, and when does that kick off? And take us take us the, uh, back to those days. That that kicks off probably the week after I got kicked out of Seance for not having a PA system, <laughs> like for real. So and we, you were on you, you were know, on point. The way the story's going, you were on point. So. Yeah, we're yeah. we're already getting to that that part anyway. So right. it's like the story's kind of telling itself. But um it's you know, and that around that time too, it was like, you know, we used to have uh I don't know, I know you remember Jason, but maybe you do you remember Joe Anthony on KISS yeah, Radio? Of course. Of course. Yeah. The, yeah. the world knows, so, knows him. I grew up in San Antonio, remember. So, okay. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So he, you know, he he was like, you know, he was the one who got us all into bands like Moxie and the, you know, all the bands that we listened to, all the killer stuff. And then, and then he started playing or one night he just played, he played Transylvania by Maiden. Mm -hmm. And um, we're like, Whoa. And he was a dude who started playing all this stuff, you know, like all this, all the like new wave of British, British heavy metal stuff. And, um, and me and Dom were just like, Oh my God, you know, like this, this is it. So I think I, i'm gonna say that me and don put put an ad in the paper but maybe it was bob or art the guitar players mm -hmm. for essay slayer and it was basically like looking for dudes into new wave of british heavy metal angel witch maiden stuff like that so um that was it you know we we all met up they lived on the other side of town and um and had a few a few singers and uh that didn't work out and then um but we were going man we were like you know we were playing all these songs we we're playing like angel witch songs we we're playing ravens you know raven songs and just you know every maiden song and uh so we there was this one singer that we all that 
you know, we wanted this guy, Steve Cooper, who in, ended up being the, our singer for, for Slayer. Right. And, um, he was in another band called crown and they used to do like Judas priest covers and everything. So, and he, he was just killer. He would nail him. So we, we invited him down. It was like, it was like almost like, you know, he was like this legend in town. So when he came down, it was almost like having, you know, a rock star come into our, our garage at the guitar player arts house where we practiced at. And, um, and we learned, I remember we auditioned them with, was savage off St. Class. Whoa. And um and he just killed it was it was so killer and uh and he dug it and he ended up jamming with us and and that was that was it, man. We started doing our SA Slayer thing. How did how did you uh how did the transition go from Chris Cronk to Steve Cooper? How how did that happen? It, you know, we had we had two guys, we had this guy Harlan Glenn and then and then Chris Cronk. And Chris Cronk was, man, a lot of that stuff is so foggy, but I just remember, I just remember we kind of just knew that he wasn't going to be the guy, like what, what we wanted, you know, and maybe it was just, maybe it was a personality thing back then. We're all kids, you know, like who knows what it was, but like he could sing. It was just, we wanted, you know, we wanted, like Steve had that kind of merciful fate thing and, you know, we're super into merciful fate and just, and he just had that thing that we, I don't know, we just kind of knew like he was going to be the dude. And that's what we, you know, that kind of singing was what we wanted to, to go with. Yeah. Now with, with, with S.A. Slayer, uh, I mean, I've seen prepare to die at record conventions going for thousands yeah. of dollars. I mean, it's really? crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have two. How how does that, you know, obviously when you were recording that record, you couldn't have any idea that one one day this would be a highly sought after collector's item. But in hindsight, looking back at it with the perspective of of age, you know, how do you feel about that? Knowing that something you created as basically a young man is this highly sought after top dollar collectible now. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy because we were just, you know, we were really just like, we were like, we, we were kids, but we had, I mean, we had a direction, like we knew what we wanted and we, you know, and, uh, but, you know, meeting, meeting, um, the owner of the, of boss, Bob O'Neill, it was Bob O'Neill sound studios, meeting him kind of like took, you know, like, like going more in that direction. So, um, yeah, it was crazy. Like we, you know, we were basically just going in and recording like a demo, you know, and, and he had, he had his little record company that he was making. And, um, so, and it was, it was just, yeah, I think we were just, I think we were just having fun and it, that record kind of turned into, um, I remember, I think it was, um, what's it important yeah. distributors important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like they got it and, and all of a sudden, like it just started, you know, sort of getting this, this thing going on. So I, I think he impressed like ads in glossy magazine and decent reviews yeah. and, and world worldwide, yeah. worldwide distribution is a big deal for a kid band, you know? Yeah. It, and yeah. it was like on the, it was on the Kerrang, like the import charts, mm -hmm. you know, and then it was, you know, next to the other Slayer, 
things. You know, sometimes it would be reviewed together. Yeah, let's um, let's for, get into that a little bit. I, I wanted to mention Go for the Throat. You guys had a second record that basically didn't come out and then later on was kind of shoved up into a corner and was put out basically by it was a fan release yeah collected all the photos and the ideas and the got all remastered it or whatever and eventually it came out as a limited edition and it's that's just as strong uh it has ron jarzombek on it you guys have replaced art villarreal um, mm-hmm. But you were moving in a certain direction, but then it all kind of faded away, and the band had broken up. I want to get into you, the obvious point is going to be because you've already mentioned Slayer, Los Angeles Slayer. So Show No Mercy comes out, and then all of a sudden there's two Slayers, and somebody has the great idea to get you guys back in the saddle, just so you could play a show with L.A. Slayer. Yeah. How, what's your experience with that? How, what do you have memories of that? Because I'll fast forward just for a, just for a moment. You like have befriended members of Slayer via your work with Machine Head, being in the in the Bay Area, living in Los Angeles. Da 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 da. I mean, you're hanging yeah. out with the guys in Slayer when you're like 30 years old and plus, and you're going, "Hey, remember that time when we were 20, when we were 19, down in San Antonio playing a show at the Via." Yeah. Oh, I remember that. I mean, just fly on the wall. Has that ever happened? It it was never really like with, you know. You know what I mean. It was never really like when in like in-depth conversation with anything like that. No, I think, of course not. I think more of it, they were just like, yeah, we're better than you guys. So just shut the hell up about this Slayer versus Slayer business, you know. <laughs> right, right. And, um, That's funny. But, but I mean, later, later on when you're, you know, Tom Mariah's on your bus, he knows who you are. He knows you're the oh, kid yeah. that play. Of course, that's what I'm trying to say. And, I, and I Tom, that Tom wore that shirt that yeah. last tour oh, that's they right. did. The, yeah, the that's Slayer right. Ver- yeah. 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 So I mean, that's that's one of the infamous gigs in San Antonio metal history. Probably I, I'll yeah. I'll just go ahead and say it's the most infamous gig in sure. San Antonio metal history. For sure. And and people that were there wear like a badge of honor and, and I get it. I mean, rightfully so. Um so I wanna know what was what was it like when you got the how did you get the news that there was a cease and desist order coming from the LA Slayer camp to your camp telling you guys to modify or change your band name because to this day outside of texas if you say sa slayer people start scratching their heads and going you're right. talking about slayer and you have to explain no there was this other band so take us all the way back to the day when you guys received word from a lawyer or a manager or whatever what was going on in your head at that time man i you know i think like again, it, all that stuff is really fuzzy back then. The whole timeline of things, but from what I remember, it, it was you know, 80, and I think it was eighty four. Had to be sometime yeah, in eighty four. And I think I think kind of things were already going on because there was a there was a thing where where Bob O'Neill who who you know was kind of fronting all the money for did prepare to die, and then you know it was like, hey, I got can either press more of prepare to die or go into the studio and do this other record. But by the time all that stuff was going on with the name, I'm pretty sure like me and Don and Steve Cooper, the singer, we were kind of, we were kind of doing, you know, hanging with Mark Reale from riot. Here we go. And yeah. And that kind of like that whole thing 
we had, uh, we, we were, we were, I think we were pretty much starting a band with Mark at that point. So by the time we did the, the Slayer versus Slayer show, like we, you know, we were done. Like yeah. that was, we knew that was our last thing and we were we moving had, on. We had Don on the podcast and he talked about that sort of like, like turn that little twist right there. He talked about yeah. moments where Mark was contacting him to basically say, Hey, I'm in town. I want to hang out because he's friends with Ricky Warheit. And mm -hmm. I want to, I need to write some songs. Hey, Don, can you come and help me write these, put these demos together or whatever. And basically Mark joined you and Don and wrote, started writing songs with you guys. And then Steve came in or something like that. So, yeah, so tell, well, us, and then, tell us, tell us about Slayer kind of back burner because of the name thing maybe and then sure you did the the shows in 84 the last essay slayer shows you know in yeah. 84 and, and then you started playing i mean you guys were calling it narita which i thought was yeah. super smart and i think that i saw you guys at the cameo a couple of times and this is just prior to you moving to Los Angeles. So talk about that time frame, what was happening with Mark and the up and down of maybe why it didn't do anything other than just turn into riot with right. Don and then Bobby Jarzombek, right? Yeah. So the when when we met Mark, he was still, you know, riot was still going on. They had just and we met him through, like you said, Ricky Warheit. And, um, and he, so I think they had just, they had just put out Restless Breed with Rhett Forrester. Like they had just gone through the whole change, you know, going from Guy to Rhett. And, um, you know, we met, <clears throat> we meet Mark and we're like, my God, this is Mark, you know, like we're blown away. Like this is one of our idols. So legit, legit. Yeah. And yeah. we're just like hanging out and we started, you know, we started like hanging out and hanging out more. He, anytime he comes in, he's like hanging out with us. So, um, we, he, uh, and there, that tour cycle had was, was going, you know, the restless breed one. And then he, he was writing songs for the next record born in America. And he was like, Hey, I got, you know, it's like, I've got these songs. Would you guys, can we go down? We went down to Bob O'Neill sound studio and we, so we recorded these, basically like the demos for born in America with like gunfire, heavy metal machine, all the, you know, um, all these songs. And, um, so we record him and then we go up to, we go up to New York with Mark. He invites us up. And so me, me, Don and Steve go up and we're there at SIR while riots getting ready to practice. And he's handing the dudes, handing Sandy slave and handing Rhett Forrester, you know, uh, just handing them the cassette that we did and they're looking over at us like kids you know like who yeah. are these who are these kids so so you know like the i think the born in america tour cycle probably wasn't great and i don't think the record was well received so um we just kind of you know kept jamming with mark when he he'd always stay in san antonio and we just started doing the staying and it was just kind of like a natural progression for him to do something new with like younger dudes and he had his he had his producer steve loeb and uh draw a blank on the other one um, they were like the team the producer team 
Um, and, uh, so, you know, they were, they were into it and, you know, yeah, we called, we're like, uh, call the band Arita. So they'll have, people will have that, that kind of reference fam- familiar thing with riot. Yeah. And, um, you know, we, we, um, Steve, Steve wasn't the original, the original choice for that. I remember we, remember we took, we, we took off to, we went to LA to meet up like Mark knew of the singer, this guy, uh, Tommy, Tommy gun, Tommy Malamutanius was his name. And he was in this band VVSI from, from LA. And, um, so we, uh, we borrowed my mom's Cadillac, this giant white Cadillac. And we put, Oh, it, same Cadillac that we used for the Slayer versus Slayer show. And, um, and I think, I think one of the, the, the Slayer guys, the real Slayer, I think they like put some horns up on the front of it, you know, like old, like boss hogs, you know, Cadillac. But wow. anyway, we, me, Don and Mark got in, the, in my mom's Cadillac with a U-Haul trailer on the back and went out with all our gear and like jammed with this dude, you know, it was just so, it was so crazy, but wow. it was great though. We had a, it was like a, um, it was like a little vacation. Cause we, like, we were super into fast times at Ridgemont high. And, um, we actually, I think you, you remember when, do you remember the cassette tape that we made that said Mike Damone's greatest hits? It's do you possible. remember that? <laughs> and we had it's every possible. line from Mike Damone in fast times and we knew everything. So we went out to LA. We did like the the fast time. We went to like Van Nuys High School. Went to Sherman Oak Galleria, and um, you know did the whole thing. And uh, came back, cut it. We cut it. Then Tommy came out and actually like did one of the Narita songs. Did a couple couple songs for a demo. It just fell apart. And then we you know it ended up with Steve, and that kind of that kind of fizzled fizzled out. And which took me to my next phase, which was one of the singers that Mark, that Riot had tried out was Neil Turbin from Anthrax. Mm. Okay. And um, so me and Neil, we were, we had kind of kept in touch. So Neil, so when that didn't happen with Riot, he made the move out to LA and he started his own band. So um, it's kind of a, like, I think Sandy Slavin from, from riot, like started kind of getting back into the picture. And, um, so they were going to try like riot mock four or something like that, you know, with, with Don and Mark and, and Rhett again. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that was my, that was kind of like my ticket out of San Antonio where I just, you know, talking to Neil, I, I flew out there and he got me a job. I started working with him the next day and telemarketing, so, right? Telemarketing. Neil, Neil yeah. Turbin, of course, the original singer for Anthrax, who played on the uh, recorded the Fistful of Metal record for yeah. for anyone who doesn't know that. Um, if they don't know that, they, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they probably aren't listening to the show, but I just wanted to clarify. Um, so did you, how long were you with Neil? Uh, how long did this Turbin sort of uh, band last? Any length of time? Yeah. And, and forgive yeah, me if that I'm... Was- any albums come out of that or no, no albums. Okay. Um, we did, I think it was about a year and maybe a, a little over a year. And this but is in 86, that time, 86, right? Yeah, yeah. I moved out in January of 86. 
Um, so the guitar player of this band was one of the, like the Mike Varney, you know, remember he used to have Mike Varney spotlight and guitar player magazine. Yeah. And, um, uh, Doug Morrison, who lives in Austin. Now. Yep. I don't know if you guys know Doug. Yeah, I do. But, um, I know Doug. He, uh, he's good friends with my, our buddy, Sean Weingartner and Doug is actually, uh, we did a motorhead tribute with, with our buddy, Sean Weingartner on bass and vocals. And I was second guitar. I was Jason McWurzel. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and, and he was uh, filthy Mick, or filthy. Yeah. Uh, I mean, on the fast. Uh, what was the guy's name? Fast, Doug. Doug. fast Eddie Clark. Fast, fast, Doug. fast Doug. Doug Clark. Yeah. Fast Doug Morrison. Yeah, fast <laughs> fast Morrison. Uh, yeah, and actually, Doug. Oh, cool. Doug's a real cool guy, man. Uh, I haven't seen him in yeah. a long time, but yeah. So I haven't talked to him in forever. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. Hi, Doug Morrison. We love you, Doug Morrison. <laughs> I'm guessing the move to LA and the, and we're in hooking up with Neil Turbin is kind of, you know, the next step is, is, is that's kind of the stepping stone that leads to machine head. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Well, one of the, so the guitar, Doug, the guitar player, he was, he had gone to, um, MI, you know, the musicians Institute and he was living he was living at this guy's apartment. So when I came over one day to go to, you know, waiting to go to practice with Doug, I meet his roommate and it's Ross Robinson before, you know, this is Ross when he was just playing, he was in a band called Detente, who was, they were signed to metal blade. That's right. And, um, and we just, when we met each other, it was like, it was like this instant complete connection. It was like, okay, we're best friends and, and we still are and everything's great. And so during this time, um, and Ross so the singer, Robinson is now a known producer. Is that right? Big time. <laughs> I think he might. Yeah. He's done. Yeah. A, he's, he's sold a he's few records. A, well, some people yeah. don't know that unless they read the fine print, right? Only people that don't know who Neil Turbin is. Don't know who Ross. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Okay. Continue. <laughs> But Ross's credits, uh, we should mention, are pretty crazy. I mean, I think he yeah. did Sepultura. He's done Corn. He did a lot of the yeah. new metal bands yeah. that sold we ballistic. Don't, we don't have time. We we need to do a whole show on Ross. Robert. It's like right. a big old list. Yeah. Yeah. Just a scroll. Yeah. Just... Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so the uh, he and the bass player in Detente were like they were always they were always trying to get me in Detente. They were like, oh, we want you to play for Detente, but. The drummer from Detente and their singer, this chick Don Crosby, were a thing. So it was all, always caused like this big turmoil going, you know, between Don and them. And um, so they knew anyway. They ended up splitting up, and then me and me and Ross formed. We had a few bands together, and which were kind of like Detente offshoots with another with another female singer, and. Um, and then another band after that called Murder Car. Mm -hmm. And then that's pretty much, um, I can go into the next thing, how I actually, you know, when I got into Sacred Reich and how that whole thing unfolded. Um, so this, which was, this, stuff, this stuff with Ross is uh, 87, 88? The stuff with, yeah, the bands with, with Ross, there was uh, catalepsy. The catalepsy and long disorder were basically the same band, just different names. Um, that was about probably 
Yeah, 88. Okay. 88. And then um, Murder Car was, yeah, 88, 89. Then Murder Car was like 89, 90. Um, because I, I uh, have fond memories of us hanging out at the Oakwoods when the toys were out yeah. there recording with yeah. Max. And you would come over and, and hang out. And we'd, I remember totally. going over to yours and Ross's apartment a couple of times, maybe to pick you up or something. Yeah. Well, yeah. So good times. That was good times. I remember I watching you on the on the. Huh? You remember watching? You what? do. Oh, yeah, never... I have a picture from the Oakwoods of of you and me. Oh my God! Really? Brian Brian Bowen or you and me and Mike Vasquez from from uh, Cyrus at the yeah. Oakwoods, and you have like hair. And I, I have a picture of you getting out of the car when we, me and the toys dudes were dropping you off. We had those Mustangs that the label rented us and we were Man. dropping you off and you have hair, but you're wearing the like anthrax, you know, the, the, you got the, Oh, middle. my dog town. I had the dog yeah. town hat. Yeah, yeah. You had the dog town hat all flipped up. That was the style all suicidal Dave suicidal. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't want to tell people that I was starting to go bald, but everybody knew. But, um, well, yeah, it's no it's, secret it was, now, so you weren't. It's cool. Who cares? No one cares. Yeah. I didn't care. No one cares. You, uh, so, so Sacred Reich was so after all of that, but they're in Phoenix. So, how what they're was in the action? Yeah, yeah, so they're and, and by the so I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're, you're, you're now currently on your second leg with, with Sacred Reich. So, we're talking about yes. the first time, right? Okay, so he's got nine lives. Yeah, yeah. David Plain has nine lives. Right. So currently Man. with Sacred Reich, but we're talking about your first affiliation with Sacred Reich. And Jason's asking, how did you go from California to Phoenix, where they were based? Yeah. So this is '91 now, and um, so Sacred Reich, Sacred Reich was always um, when they put out Surf Nicaragua, like that was one of my, you know, like love this band, and the American Way came out, and I was just I was a fan, and. Um, so I knew this, I'd met this, um, this bass player through the bass player that I had had in Turban. They were both like MI guys. And, um, his name, his name was Troy Gregory. And oh, yeah. he was in so, prong for a second, wasn't he? Yeah. And then, and then, wait, so he, he was flotsam and jetsam too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I that whole Troy time right time. then, like they, Troy went up and, and auditioned for, uh, he went up and auditioned for Metallica right? and obviously Jason got the gig. And then, um, so I'm buddies with Troy and he's a great bass player, everything. And, and all of a sudden he, he moved out to, uh, he's like, Hey man, I'm moving to Phoenix. I just got, I'm taking Jason Newt's Newstead spot and, and Flotsam. I was like, killer. So he calls me one day and so, um, Sacred Reich, and Flotsam basically practiced next door to each other um, at this industrial park place. So he calls wow, me wanna, up and he's. I want to go there and just stand between the rooms right now and like. Dude, it was such a metal place. Like oh, Sepultura dude. ended up there. And it was just like, that's like back then in, in Phoenix, like that's where you, you would go rent these, these like basically like giant garages, you know? Yeah. And, um, so he called me and he said, Hey, Sacred Reich's looking for a drummer. Gave me, gave me Phil's number. And I, that, you know, I called Phil and kind of was like, Hey, I'm Dave McLean. And 
I'm going to be, I'm going to be your next drummer. I'm Marty <laughs> McFly, your density. So, He's like, Dave, <laughs> Dave. He, no, he that. did. He, he, he said, he basically, he, he said, okay. So <laughs> that, obviously that's a yeah. solid deal right there. You know, I'm, I had just met the sacred Reich fellows for the very first time, uh, just a few weeks ago, right? And they were the nicest guys in the room. Yeah. All of them were the sweetest guys like I had known them for years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's no wonder that you always had a home. It Yeah, I mean me and Phil, me and Phil kept in touch, you know, when yeah. I when I left to join Machine Head, yeah. we I think there may be an, been a time maybe I don't know, maybe six months or something where it wasn't bad or anything, but it would maybe it was just like, didn't really, he didn't really grasp like what, you know, why, why I left or what, whatever. But um, yeah, but we, we've kept in touch, you know, the whole 23 years that I was in machine head wow. and, um, and uh, just stayed, stayed great friends, you know, and, and uh, it's, yeah, they are the, like the nicest dudes and it's, it's, it's great being being back in the band and just just having fun. You know, it's just it's just a good time. So, so you were out in you were out in Phoenix uh, as a member of Sacred Reich, and then your next step is back to California, not just California, but Northern California, to yeah. the o Oakland area. How do you how yeah. how does that connection Let's, happen? If you could set it up to us, I just have a request. Can you set it up to where? How many records did you make with Sacred Reich? your first go around before right. you ended up in machine head. So, um, when I, when I first joined, so when I first joined sacred Reich, uh, we had, uh, the first tour was happening in like two weeks, you know, when they got me, they were like, okay, we're going out, we're going to Europe with Sepultura. This is on the arise tour, which is like, wow. Insane. Wow. You know? <laughs> and, uh, it's just like, just being a fly on the wall for the, just some of the tours that I've seen has been amazing, you know? So when I first joined, we had two weeks and we, we did this little, like an EP, like a, an EP thing. It was, the song was called a question. Um, we just, that was one little thing. And then I did, uh, um, the independent record was, was the next album that we did after, after all that touring happened, but the, we did, the Europe tour, and then we came over to, we did it in the States and it was called the new Titans on the blocks. So it was Sepultura, Sacred Reich, Napalm Death, and Sick of It All, which was, it was just crazy because Sepultura was just, you know, they were, they were coming up, you know, and they were like the hot new thing. And they were these dudes from Brazil and they just, you know, they were just, everything about them was killer the way they talk like oh you know kind of broken english like oh dude like oh it was like the heaviest thing you've ever heard and then they'd go on stage and it was like okay here's the, here's like the next kind of metallica thing going on right yeah um so anyway back on track um independent was the record and then the heel record was the last record that i we were actually still I think we were still mixing the record when I, when I was going out to uh, audition with machine head and um, you know, it had just become, 
the the thing with Sacred Reich had become almost everybody had, had cut mm, kind of lazy and there wasn't really any there wasn't really any anything going on as far as like a plan and every we were all kind of every morale seemed to be pretty pretty low even though we were still we were doing a record and everything and um so uh igor had put out word that you know like he knew that machine head was looking for a drummer and he he suggested me to somebody else who was helping look for um help them look for a drummer so you know rob called me was like yeah man you know check it out and he was telling you know we're they were on tour they were just finishing up the the final final tour for the burn my eyes album and um and i think will because i i'd met them on that last thing and i think will carroll from death angel was playing drums with them mm-hmm. on that final thing and um so i told rob i said yeah absolutely man i'll come out like they just seemed they were i'd met the dudes and they were just you know things were things were going up for them and and they were just like we're doing it you know like we're doing this is one track mind of being a huge band you know and um so i had a little talk with the sacred right guys and they seem to have kind of you know had a like a turnaround about the way they were feeling so i had actually called rob and i said hey look you you know talk to the sacred right guys and they seem like they're kind of back on track so I'm going to decline coming out there to audition. And he's like, all right. And then a couple of days went by and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? You know, kind of, kind of things went back to the original thing. So went out there anyway, went out there, auditioned with the guys. And uh, a couple of weeks later, they called me back and, and then I'm, I'm planning my move out to the Bay area, you know, which was like this whirlwind just, you know, because they're they're coming off the successful record, burn my eyes, and then I'm you know coming into the situation where we're, um, like when I went out and auditioned for with them, we ran through we ran through the whole burn my eyes album a few times, and then and then after that they started showing me some new riffs. So I was like, okay, I think everything went pretty good. You know, they're showing me new parts. Yeah, and uh, so you know once I got out there, it was like this whole whirlwind of just getting you know, right into pre-production, like writing songs for, you know, three or four months and then getting into the studio and everything. So it was pretty, it was pretty insane. It was awesome. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, I can, your story sounds a little bit like, um, like when Kirk Hammett was leaving Exodus, it, it was like, you know, he felt like Exodus was kind of languishing and Metallica mm. was this band that was on the rise and there was an opportunity right. and he jumped and so, yeah, I, I kind of, without knowing anybody involved, I can understand where one thing looks like it's it, it's not going at the pace you would like it, and the other thing looks like a rocket ride, and they're actually yes. calling me to be part of this. So uh, I might miss an opportunity if I don't take advantage of it. And then, you know, and then you lasted 23 years. That's insane. 23 years with yeah. Machine Head. Uh, went on to be recognized as one of the biggest metal bands in the world for a certain period of time. Um, Measure it with releases. How many releases did you do with Machine Head? 
Um, let's see, one thing's changed. Burning red, supercharger. Uh, the axle black name. We're doing math here. Eight. I'll talk louder. Eight. eight. <laughs> yeah. I think eight. Wow. Not, not including the live records or whatever, but okay. I think eight. Yeah, and that's a that's a hell of a run, and and a lot of those albums were were critically acclaimed and well received. There there was though you guys did take some heat for the the Burning Red and the Supercharger record because there was a bit of yeah. a shift in the musical direction, and so was was that a democratic decision among the band members to sort of shift gears and and try something new, or was that basically Rob's? Uh, direction and you guys kind of just followed along. Um, I, the burning red was a that was the biggest the biggest change. Um, and that's Ross actually Ross Robinson actually produced that record. And um, so I think I mean, Rob always kind of guiding the ship. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think I think like one of the big for me I think the big two of the big things were production style was, was different from the Colin Richardson style of the first two records, you know? And then, yeah. And then like a whole shift change of like, you know, like some rapping going on in songs and, and just a way darker produced record. And, and the way we, the way we looked was like really threw people off. Cause here we are, like we're wearing all this crazy, like, weird kick wear stuff and we've you know we've got a new guitar player a Luster came in and um so and he was also a songwriter so he he kind of took he kind of took logan's spot where it would be rob and logan all the time like the main songwriters and then when aru came in he was right there you know as as the second writer um so his style was a little different too and uh and I think the biggest thing was the production and then just the way we look. Cause like, we just look, it was just ridiculous, you know, yeah. <laughs> going, going from kind of, you know, you're kind of going from, uh, just, I guess, normal-ish looking clothes, you know, and then you're going like this crazy, like we just went to hot topic and it was right. weird. So how, how so, did that meeting go? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's interesting because you kind of go from a traditional metal look to something that's more aligned with, you know, maybe the new metal and the rap sort of movement. Yeah. I don't know. It, it was kind of, from what I remember, like it was, it was fun because we were just kind of playing like, I don't know. We we're just kind of playing like rock star things or whatever, you know, we're going to dress different and we're going to do this and, you know, and the only thing I didn't do during that, that everybody else was doing was the makeup thing, which, which I had done way back in the, in the Narita days with Mark reality. You know? yeah. So I was like, I'm way past the makeup stage guys, but I'm so all about guys, the, you know, you dyeing just, my hair, cheetah print and all this stuff. But you guys were just clowning around, just kind of going with the, going we with were the just, trend maybe, or. I mean, we were all on board with it. Like we were just trying to like, you know, we kind of bought into the whole thing of, you know, look, we've got a, we've, the review, you know, going, doing two records, like we did, like going from burn my eyes to the more things change, which wasn't like a big departure. And it, and it didn't really, it didn't really take the band to that next level. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think there was probably a lot of thought where it was just like, you know, this new kind of stuff is coming around, you know, we can, 
you know, Ross is going to produce a record. It can take us into that other, yeah. you know, into well, that other thing. Sudden, I'm like, cause he had already sudden, done roots too, you know? True. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden corn and stuff like that was really, really yeah. big. The first corn record. Yeah. I recall a conversation you and I had about how that first corn record is kind of like this shift in like heavy music because it's, it's leaning itself into all of these other things. Yeah. Uh, you know, whatever Marilyn Manson was doing and whatever corn was doing and, and whatever, what time it was on the, you know, what year it was that the climate was different. I just call that the trend. And yeah. that, that seems to be a bad word to some people, but it's not, everybody follows trends. You know, why do you wear yeah. black all the time? Well, I like heavy metal, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expressing rage, whatever, you know, uh, yeah. I think that it's, I think that your, the look that you guys had was just going with where your music was. If you felt like it was going to fit, um, it, it meant everything about what time it was, what the climate was, looked like. It, it, we were following the trend. Like you said, like we, yes. we didn't make, we didn't make that, that trend. Like that was something that was like, yes. you know, it was, and you know, it's one of those things when you look back and you're, should should we have done it or should we, we, we did it. You know what I mean? There's yeah. nothing, you, you can't change anything, but it was definitely like, what can we do? You know, oh, this is cool. And it was, you know, and it was. Pretty much every band do, has done it. Yeah. yeah Everybody's everybody done it in, in one way or another. Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes right. you, yeah. Fairly but. normal, you know. So even, yeah. pop, even pop songwriters changed their their the color of their tunes for a second, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then and then you guys almost did a complete 180 because then you come back with Through the Ashes of the of Empires and uh and probably your magnum opus is Black the Blackening. And yeah. and those records uh, a lot of people were going, oh, my God, they're back to form. Not only are they back to form, they're back in a big, badass, radical way. Like, And I don't think, you know, The Blackening is one of those records where, you know, it might not get mentioned in the same breath with Master of Puppets or Rain and Blood. But if you were to compile a list of like 25 of the greatest thrash metal albums or whatever i yes. I'd, I'd be willing to bet that record makes that list yeah so yeah you guys just you went from this ross robinson sort of influence sort of departure and then you come roaring back with these two records so tell me what is the meeting like <laughs> after the two records that were sort of you know the for lack of a better term more more new metal and and how does is that then a democratic decision or is it more of a Rob thing saying okay those two records didn't work the way we planned it let's go back to what we do and let's go do it with steroids now. Um, no, that was uh, so at that point after this after the Burning Red and then Supercharger, so it was a point where we didn't we were off of Roadrunner at one point. Mm -hmm. And so we're, we're like, we've got to find a new home. Right. So we do, we do this, these, like this three song demo and it was bad. Like the songs were just like still in that, in that vein of like trying to be a rate, almost like a radio band. And 
remember we, we were doing this like back like we were we were kind of just we were trying to sell ourselves again you know and so we had this demo and then we were we were making this video of like like an electronic press kit kind of thing you know and we're like we're uh we're talking into the camera we're like oh this is our you know this is our new thing that we did and we hope you enjoy we're trying and it it just made me it made me want to throw up like it made me just and and we did have a meeting after that and i said look man i said this is this could be it and i don't want to go out i don't want to go out with this you know because we were trying to get signed to like you know i think david draymond was doing a, a label at that time and and that's what we were we were trying to get into that kind of that realm you know the yeah. the you know and and i just told the guys i'm like if we're going to go out, I don't want to go out like this. I don't want to go out with these songs. I want to go out being fucking heavy again. Yeah. And that was, and everybody, and I think everybody was probably feeling that that same way of like, Oh my God, we're trying to sell ourselves to, to whoever, you know, to, to give us a shot. It, it almost felt like begging or something, you know, yeah. yeah. because it was scary because we were off Roadrunner and that was like the band's home. And that was where, you know, the people who worked there, they were almost family to the band because they were, they would wake up and they would think about machine hit, you know? Yeah. So, um, me and me and Rob went out and saw Judas priest one night They back when they had Ripper singing, and we were talking to the guys, you know, we we're talking to Glenn and KK and everything. And, and that was like a big turning point, I think, in that whole, that whole meant that whole process of getting back to doing things. You know, I remember me and we went back and like me and Rob were working on these songs again and um, getting heavy again. And um, we were basically at that point, a three piece because Aru, Aru had just left the band. And so I felt like, okay, I need to, Aru, you see, you know, it was like Rob Logan, Rob Aru. I was like, I need to kind of pick up some slack. And I've always played guitar. And um, so I was like, I, I think I need to pick up that slack and start writing a bunch of stuff. So I started writing all just whatever came to mind and started giving them to Rob, which became, um, became Imperium, the lead off song of the record. Like uh, I had like the, part of the, the guts for the beginning of, you know, the beginning and middle of the song. And then Rob finished it off with this killer just ending to the song. Um, probably, I don't know, four, four or five songs on that record. I had, you know, was like started from my wrists and everything. So um, it just turned into this, that, that record just turned into this, like this new thing, you know, and, um, and it just felt good. We felt, we felt super energized by it again. We're like, we're playing this music. That's like meaning, meaning stuff to us, you know, like the first time we ever played, we made it through Imperium with all the parts. We all just started laughing with each other. Just like, that was insane. It was like being on a, you know, like a roller coaster or something. It was like, wow, we got something here. This is, it's cool. And, um, you know, we, and, and, and that, and that brought us, uh, that brought us back to Roadrunner. Like Roadrunner got, 
got back on board with it. They were, they were super stoked with it. And, um, and yeah, and then going into the blackening, we just kind of, we can, we, we tour our asses off for through the ashes, man. We, cause we really, that was like a, a rebuilding kind of thing because at that point there's all these other bands, like a whole new wave, like shadows fall, lamb of God, you know, all these bands that are, it's like this whole new wave of, of American metal or whatever. And, uh, so we, we toured our ass off, man, for that record. I think we, I remember we did a European tour. We did, it was three months long for that one. And, um, you know, coming off the record, we felt great about it. And then, you know, we had, you know, Phil Demmel was in the band at that point, like towards the end of, of the writing for, uh, through the ashes. And then going into the, going into the next one, the blackening, we were this band. We felt like a band again. You know, we felt, we felt great. We felt empowered. We felt, um, yeah, like the, you know, the self-esteem of the band was, was, was good. You know, you, yeah. you were lost and you were lost and now you've been found. It's, you needed. We totally. Yeah. You yeah. needed to, there was like a cleansing or something, right? It was. Uh-huh. It really was. Yeah. You, you mentioned uh, hanging out with the Judas Priest guys as being a bit of a turning point of sorts. Was there anything particular about that that hang that sort of steered you back in this direction, or was it just more coincidence? You know, what, was there any words of wisdom exchanged backstage, or is just was it just seeing your heroes kind of reminding you why you got into this? in the first place. Yeah. Well, and before totally. he, before he answers, it would, it would talk about a band that has changed their, their look at their style yeah. and their look. I mean, as early as 79 and 80, I mean, they were like the Beatles or something. It's like every record had this different color to it. Yeah. And that, that was one of the things right there. Like that, that we just kind of like, okay, this, you know, seeing seeing them like with ripper and they're just they're still they're they were great you know they sounded killer and like just doing their thing and um you know you just kind of like the next day we were just kind of like man that was so fucking cool like hanging out with those dudes and they're still doing their thing and they're still you know yeah they've gone they've gone through the things and i think we kind of looked at that like okay we did we did the burning red. We did this other thing, and we we were almost going to do this other thing with these this new demo stuff, you know. And mm-hmm. and we kind of look like, ah, uh, let's, you know, thank God we didn't do that. Let's, yeah. you know, it, it really gave us a lot of inspiration to to just be heavy, you know, just, be heavy just, again. Just seeing them awesome. and 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 yeah, from the inside out, you know, you're watching the yeah. show and then you're talking to them, and it's like, wait a minute, they're just they're just being what they need to be today. And if it yeah. doesn't feel right, they're going to, they're, it's going to be obvious. I, I, yeah. I love that story. I, I mean, I, I, cause I can, I can see it. I can imagine it. You know, you, you start uh, letting other influences sort of steer you a little bit. And then you have this reminder of why you got into it in the first place. And you see it playing yeah. out live right in front of your face. And they're all these years later and older and everything. And you're like, they're still doing it. That's why we got into this. We need to reassess yeah. what we're thinking and, and get, get back to our roots and why we got into this, you know? Yeah. Cause it, it was kind of the same. Like when I, I remember seeing Judas Priest on when uh, Iron Maiden opened up for them on, uh, uh, 
point of entry. Yeah. And I was just like, it was, it was so weird because I was like, I'm done with priest at that point, you know, like I'm done like Iron Maiden killers. Like I walk into the arena and Clive Burr's kit setting up. And I just remember walking around while Judas Priest was on, like, you know, just being a dumb kid thinking, oh, like, I'm, you know, yeah. I don't like this anymore. You know, I'm, I'm heavy. I like, I like Iron Maiden. This is, you know, yeah. this is my thing. And so See, that's I, I think a, we kind of look. Trend, that's a trend following mindset right there. And you don't know it <laughs> yeah. when you're that young, you don't realize yeah. that that's what's going on. But that's, that's why following a trend is not, I used to think that that was a bad taste in my mouth when I said that. It's not. It's just you're. you're it can just be part following. of the growth. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, it can be a step along the way definitely. sometimes, and and sometimes it, it sometimes the the turn in the road will be permanent, and sometimes it'll be temporary, and you'll come back to where you were. But it's part. It's all part of the growth process. I I, I think, especially when you're creative and artistic. And all that. of our. I mean, we could sit here. All of our favorite band, like just rush for example you could just look at those look at those changes you know what i mean yeah. even yeah. though it's just so yeah yeah you mentioned it's, iron maiden and i know that uh machine head at some point did a recording of hallowed be thy name for some mm -hmm. sort of maiden tribute or something yeah um, uh, being a maiden fan myself a, a bit of a maiden freak what why was it that song what what led you to hallowed be thy name because i'm sure that the there must have been some heavy discussion among you guys which maiden song to cover yeah i think at the time that was uh when we did that i think it was we were we were on the blackening we were doing blackening so i think that song out of most of the maiden songs to us felt like well, first of all, it was, it was number of the B. So like for, for all of us, that record was, you know, unanimously like our record, you know, that yeah. or killers or whatever, but number of the beasts. And um, so we kind of felt like, like that song in particular really fit in with what we were doing on the blacking blackening, as far as like a song like halo, where it's this long song with all these different parts and all these mm -hmm. different things. So it like when we did it, we were like, man, this, like, we felt like that could actually fit on the record. So, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. The timing of, I didn't realize the timing of the blackening had such yeah. a, 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 uh, an influence on that choice, but you, that makes sense. You guys did sense. a priest cover too. Didn't you do the Sentinel? Is that right? We did a Sentinel on, uh, the next record. Yep. Um, unto the locust. Yeah. We did that and witch hunt. I rush. Mm -hmm. That's uh, awesome. So, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. cool. We're just looking for the easy stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, so after 23 years, I mean, that is a fantastic run. What I, I, in, in the, in the Bay area too, you're in the Bay area. I, I almost see the, and this is kind of like a thing for me because do you know, Harold Oyman? Yeah. Yeah. So we had him as a guest on here and I was just like freaking out having this like legendary, like sort of Spicoli type guy yeah. on the show because he's seen it all. He's seen it. He's photographed he's, it all. The, he, the, the pictures right. he Murder has in the front row. Yeah. 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 He, he has supplied the world since his childhood with visions of like vicarious visions 
of uh, the Bay Area metal scene, rock and roll scene. Yeah. You could dumb it down totally. a million times. And the guy loves, you know, he, he likes rock and roll and he likes everything we like, kiss, whatever, yeah. right? And I was just like, here, I'll, I'll, I'll just move out of the Harry O thing because he was awesome to talk to. And I was extremely excited to talk to him because he talk about boots on the ground. That's him. Dude. No matter what. Yeah. The stories alone, I was just freaking. Anyway, fast forward to my question, which was basically, you were like at Lars Ulrich's house. You have been to the Bay Area world of like the things that brought us life-changing i mean real metal <laughs> real american metal like yeah. the, the earliest inception of thrash music was sure there was slayer and dark angel and you know and megadeth and you know metallica's from los angeles but when not to go historical but when metallica goes to san francisco for the first time with the original lineup yeah. and all of those kids because they're all kids they see Metallica and Metallica, that was fun. Let's drink beer and take a bunch of pictures. Harry O's there taking pictures. And then they go back to yeah. LA and then everyone in San Francisco is going, okay, we need to play faster. We need to scream <laughs> harder. We need to, everything changed. Totally. So Metallica to get Cliff, da, 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 everybody knows the history lesson. You became part of that, of course, decades later through this thing. You texted me one time, literally saying, "Dude, I'm I'm hanging out with Lars at Lars's house. Me and Rob, da 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 da." da. You you don't remember texting me that? I was just like, yeah. "Oh, dude, I do because it was the it was it it was because of the um the jukebox that he had in in his house, oh, and I was shit. like, "My God, this is like me like if me and McMaster had a jukebox, this would be it." <laughs> the the Dave and Jason jukebox just had everything it was, it was it was all just like you know the the new wave of british heavy metal thing it had you know all that stuff but more it had you know just all the stuff we grew up on like thin lizzy stuff too you know riot probably sure. in there yeah. and it was just like I'm sure he loves like, riot yeah so so and a jukebox and it was insane unreal so, so back back to my question after 23 years and, and and uh this really uh amazing career what what was it that prompted you to leave take a uh, right drummer again dude and he couldn't leave his good people <clears throat> yeah. just sitting without a drummer they needed a, you know the time had come yeah it, it, you know for me to um it was just time and for you know like to sit there and and talk about all the things that led up to that. It's kind of like just stuff that, um, you know, I would tell you guys in a, in a, in a private, like a private thing, but I think for people who, you know, because I love when people come up to me with machine head albums, of course, any album. Of and course. I'm like, it's amazing. Like for me to, to have been, you know, cause those records like specifically like, well, the more things change and then like, through the ashes of blackening like those records were like a, a part of people's lives and that's like something that's being you know being a musician like that's 
when that happens, like that's the lucky part, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so to yeah, talk you, about all the things you that led also, up to me, you also influence the sound of that band. You influence the sound of that band with those records that you mentioned. For sure. Yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a, a big, you know, I was, I was a part of that. So, uh, for me to talk about all that stuff that led up for me personally to leave, you know, and, and um, it was just something that like, you know, I would, I, I talk about it with my friends, like all my friends, like I will tell people or whatever, but you know, just for fans and everything, I think it's probably better for them just to, if they want to stay a fan of, of machine head or whatever, like, totally man like you don't need you don't need to know all the stuff that was going going down that led me that led phil demel to leave the band you know what i mean like you it's almost like almost like a kid going through and their parents are getting divorced like you don't need to know all the stuff that's right. going down with your parents like that's just you know so so you know well yeah. that it was things in. and it was and, and it was just something that i couldn't i you know, I, I didn't want to be a part of anymore, you know, and that, and that was, you know, partly mute the music, the direction of everything and, and a lot of other things. And it was just, for me personally, it was just something that like I had just to be happy for me. Like that's, you know, it was at a point uh, I still, for me, it's like just to be happy with any, anything you're doing is more important than anything. So, yeah. You know, and then, and then to get back with sacred, right. was like, my God, this, it couldn't have been more, you know, more perfect. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, like every day I'm, I'm just stoked to, to be back with these dudes who are my yeah. friends and, and we all get along and everything's cool and fun. So yeah. Rob, Rob Flynn put out a statement upon your leaving a public YouTube little video. And I thought I, I did feel like he was fairly eloquent about your leaving. And I do feel like he said something that stuck with me that I, that hit me correctly. Me, you and I going so far back and being friends, he said something like Dave has this way of telling you what's wrong and it's always true. He's always right. And he says it in a way where he's just literally telling you how he feels. And I can't deny that when someone is telling me exactly how they feel about it, because it's exactly how they fucking feel. And I can't change the way someone feels if they're being, if they're letting it all out to me. And it's so, and it's true. And I can see it. And he was basically giving you the compliment of, of you. And it's very true because I know you, if something ain't right, you can't live in that room when something's not right. Right. And he said it in a way that I thought was very, well, I said eloquent and he said, he said it right. And I, I took it like, okay, well, if Rob's able to see that about you know, a guy who feels like he has to leave the band for to, to be happy and healthy in another room, you know, with another band or just to be out, you know, uh, as amicably as possible. I was like, right on, Rob, you know, and that's one of the that's one of the moments I feel like there was a connection that I made with Rob when he does. He's, I used to watch his 
his I'll call them rants or whatever. I used to watch him fairly often. It's you know he'd get political and shit. But the one about <clears throat> excuse me, the one about you having to walk away felt like it was done okay. No comment. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. That's that's fine because you're on the inside and I'm not. Yeah, but I feel like what he said was was something that someone on the outside because I don't know Rob. Hi Rob, right. how you doing? Good to see you again. That's all. I, you you were standing right there whenever me and Rob would converse, and that was it. Hey dude, what's up? right. So, yeah. I I didn't mean to open up a can of worms. I just wanted. Uh, I was just curious if it was something a little, you know, a little, you know, not that big a deal. But the the fact of the matter is, you've got a lot to be proud of with those yes. years in Machine Head. I mean, a lot totally. to be proud of. I mean, twenty three years and one of the biggest metal bands yeah. in the world multiple times. Mon monu monumental. And um, and then you know, and then uh, as you say, uh, when it was the end of the road, what better way than to rebound with your buddies in Sacred Reich, which is where you are today? So, you know, uh, congrats to you. I'm happy that it's all working out the way it has, and you. You, you definitely have a discography that you can certainly be proud of with Machine Head. I mean, the, yeah. blacken the blackening alone, <laughs> like I said, will. And I don't mean to say that's all there is because there's certainly much more, but that's one of those landmark albums that very few people get to claim as as one of their own, and you did it. So congratulations. Yeah, that thing that thing had some legs. That's for absolutely that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, uh, guys you mentioned were something earlier. You guys were angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Came yeah. back with fangs. For yeah, sure. exactly. Angry. You mentioned something earlier about uh, kids coming up to you with a machine head record or any record yeah. for that matter. Um, what's the what's the craziest or the coolest thing a fan has ever approached you with to autograph mm. or or a memory that a fan has triggered uh, or 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 a certain enthusiasm that you'll never forget from somebody meeting you? Oh, man. Um, I, you know, probably the, 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 the thing that just makes so many weird, like just emotions and thought like go through when somebody comes up and they, they would have my face tattooed on their body. <laughs> wow. That, that is crazy. You know, I mean, like I understand because on my leg I've got I've got like my drum idols you know some of my drum idols on my leg tattooed so I understand that but like when people come up and they like like there was a dude who came up and he had um, me and Tommy Lee on his leg like <laughs> wow like wow. I understand Tommy Lee but where where did I get into this whole thing and it's just like you know it's just bizarre and it's just it's awesome but it's just like seeing your face on somebody's body is like crazy. And then you sign it. So, you wow. know, yeah. and here, here I am asking the question, thinking you're going to tell me about some record that you signed and <laughs> it goes a lot deeper <laughs> than that. No pun intended. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty nuts. So, wow. but you know, I love all that stuff. Like when, especially when people come up and they have, you know, they have an essay Slayer album or something. Yeah. And I'm like, well, and sometimes they come up and they have like the actual rainforest records one, you know, I'm like, man, that's cool. Oh. You know, and one guy, oh, there was a guy and uh, we played in Joliet, Illinois. And uh, he was one of the, he was one of the loaders, one of the guys working the, the show. And he said, he goes, prepare to die is the best album ever. 
And I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to disagree with that. But I appreciate <laughs> yeah. you saying that, but he either read the Wikipedia page yeah. before he went to work <laughs> just so he could have some ammo to give you, you know, when he ran into you. Right. Or he was, he believed that shit. Yeah, he was either just completely like jerking my chain, or he was so serious that he just loves prepared to die. <laughs> well, let's hope it That's was amazing. the latter. So here's yeah. the most important question of the interview, Dave. Where can we get one of those shirts? Yeah, for Hawk those Wild. who are listening, yeah, you know, for those Wild. who are listening and not watching, Dave is wearing a, a, an SA Slayer shirt without the SA. It's the Slayer, the 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 original logo with that upside down hatchet in the place of the L. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if I've seen one of those before. Where did you, where, where well, tell, can people buy those? Uh, yeah, to this one, and I think like Jason, the one that you had, the uh, Slayer versus Slayer, doesn't Louie do, doesn't Louie print those? Um, Rodney Dunsmore, I think, did the batch. The, the guy who spearheaded oh. those Slayer versus Slayer is Mike Solis from Militia. Mm. Oh, okay. He, he designed that, that poster. And it's a right. it's a it's a shirt of the poster, the Slayer versus Slayer. Um, but, but this I think, one, I think, was I think Louis Louis did the I Louis used so. to play drums for uh, for Devastation. Uh huh. He's still in San Antonio. He prints up shirts, so he's yeah. I don't know. I'm still waiting on my on my Slayer versus Slayer sh um, shirt. So <laughs> well, I, I, I have to talk to him one, about that. I can get you one of those with a phone call. Well, that the but one you know. The, the one that you're wearing is awesome. It's, it's so a, it's so good. Try Hogwild because he supplies yeah, Hogwild supplies Hog with those. Yeah. 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 I got to ask you one last question about Slayer versus Slayer because it's such a monumental gig in the in the in the history of Texas metal. And you were there. You played. I mean, we rarely get a chance to talk to somebody who was actually on the stage and and part of that gig. Uh, <laughs> we've heard the stories. Uh, I think Bob Catlin was you know, working at the record store and, and met up with the guys during the day. And they were, there was some banter about, yeah, we're playing with these Slayer guys. Do you know anything about them? And he goes, yeah, I heard they were good. And there was kind of a chuckle and there was some, so from your perspective, it's Slayer versus Slayer in San Antonio. Um, it, was there any sense of rivalry or camaraderie or was it all just a big goof for you guys? Was there any interaction with the Slayer guys before or after the show where there was maybe some words exchanged one way or the other, anything? Yeah, there was a, I, I, I remember hanging out with those guys, especially after the, after the show. And um, like while we were loading out and, and doing all the things and just hanging around, they were like, they were super cool. Like the one per, like I thought, uh, I, I remember Carrie being like the cool, like, I was like, man, he, that dude's so awesome. You know, he was like hanging out and talking and everything. And, uh, they were making fun of, like I said, they were making fun of our Cadillac that we had our, that we were taking our gear in. And, um, but they were also, they were driving, they had like a, uh, Tom's like, yellow Camaro, I think. Yeah. I think it was a yellow or red one. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Camaro, like the old one with like, and they had, I think they had five people. Cause I think Lombardo's, uh, wife or girlfriend, I don't know what she what she was at the time. She was out, and I just remember thinking of a buddy of mine used to have that same Camaro, and 
when you have five people in the car, somebody was getting that hump in the back. Yeah. That thing is not comfortable. Yeah. And they were on tour. And I just remember seeing that car going, I think I actually said like, who's got the hump seat, you know? Cause, uh, yeah, but they were cool, man. They were, they were super cool. And, uh, I think Dave Lombardo might've stole, stolen one of my, um, my assemble stands, but <laughs> really, I, did you ever get it I, back? And I think I, I never, never got it back. Okay. And I think I did ask him, I think I did mention it to him too, but there's no way to, there's no way to prove that there's no mm. memory bank of that. Yeah. Well, so, next next time you're on, let's tour, just go with let's just go with the fact that he stole my symbol stand. Yeah, and well, the next I, time you're on tour with one of his bands, you just steal one of his. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Get your drum and, tech to talk to his drum tech about. Yeah. It. Uh, well, thanks for indulging he's us. He's totally with welcome the, to have my boom stand. Thanks for indulging us with the Slayer versus uh, versus Slayer stories because that's such an important gig to so many people, yes. and uh, it doesn't yeah. come from a better source than the, than the guys that were on the stage. And well, the, yeah, we've had a few we've had a few people that were there that night in the flesh on on the Talk Louder podcast. Yeah. Mike Solis, Donnie. Don Van Stavern, and now Dave McLean. Um, we're about to have Ron Jarzon back on the show. Ooh, Ronnie. We can talk to him you know, about it a little bit. We had Bobby you, you, on. You know, me, me, uh, me, Ronnie, Don, and Jason, we redid one of the S.A. Slayer songs on that record. We did Prepare to Die. I heard about yes, that. Yes, we did. Someone yeah, asked me about cool. that. Someone in San Antonio at uh, Igniter was opening for Riot a couple of weeks ago, and somebody... Uh, more than one person asked me, hey, I heard you did Prepare to Die with the Slayer guys. I'm like, how do you know about that? People talk, man. People talk. And I'm People like, talk. It's, it's not released or anything. I mean, it's just a rough mix, and it's, I love it. But I don't know how, what are you asking me? They were, Is that ever going to come out? And I was like, well, it's not a record. <laughs> it's just one song. I don't know. Yay, one song, you know. The, one song, yeah. Uh, I think it was cool. Be happy with one song. It's real cool. It was it, fun. It was very cool. Maybe we'll maybe we'll play it for people one day or something. Uh, that would be yeah. nice. Have a have a uh, four and a half minute listening party. There you go. <laughs> yeah, and we'll we'll make T-shirts. We'll exactly. make Slayer T-shirts for it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, wow. So, so the have you seen this? coffee table book that's now in its second pressing called as viewed from the pit which is a historical um Juan, Juan Herrera what really stand yeah. by it's called uh, as viewed from the pit it was put out by a guy named Juan Herrera out of San Antonio and it's basically a time capsule of early Texas metal so get out of here yeah. oh, oh my god do you're yeah. It's Watchtower. It's Juggernaut. It's That's so, really? That's so cool. I haven't seen that. You don't yeah. know anything about this, huh? It's it's Carry On, Watchtower, Militia, S.A. Slayer, Juggernaut. It's your whole scene, Got dude. little handbills in it. Wow. Yeah. Uh, you're you're in there, I know, because I saw the I saw the uh, there's an S.A. Slayer handbill well, that was red ink on a yellow background. Well, there's a lot of people that have, I mean, it's got, it's got old flyers, you know, they printed old flyers in the back. Oh, cool. Um, it's all in here, but those, dude, 
Yeah, Dave needs you one of those. Me with, there's me with I Liliana. Definitely, oh my God, Liliana. Yeah. And it just goes. Was, there's Bob. There's Bob on the adjacent page right there with the hangman's noose around his neck from Juggernaut cameo. Oh my you gotta God. have one of these, man. Yeah, I gotta uh, get one of those. I do. So that dude's basically like the Harold O of San Antonio. Yes, kind of. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, his name is Juan Herrera. We had him on the show specifically, more or less, to talk about, um, you know, what he's doing to keep uh the spirit of not just san antonio yeah. but san antonio metal um and just art and music and yeah yeah stunt oh man look at that guy the stunt guy who pushed me into this whole thing yeah he had, he had some good hair back then yeah a little poodle don the poodle band stabber <laughs> yes the poodle um, anyway, there's pictures in here of you, Harlan. Here they're talking about Slayer versus Slayer. There's your kick drum and, and the Steve Cooper right there. Oh, right. I've seen that. So that guy took all those pictures? No, he didn't take the photos. He compiled oh, the he book. Just, that's Liliana. So, right yeah, when you asked if he's the Herald O of San Antonio, not necessarily. Uh, he's not the photographer, but he compiled the book. Catlin so. and Tom. Oh, yeah. wow. Tom Orion, Bob Dog. And there's the flyer for it right there. One of the flyers. That's so cool. So, yeah, Juan's responsible for, oh, my God, he, I think he did years worth of research and gathering and, and going through boxes and asking for permission and this and that and the other. Uh, it was definitely a labor of love, but it's really well done. It's high color, glossy, hardcover. He did a great job. And, and That's for so you, cool. A guy who is actually a part of it, it's, you got to have it on your shelf. Some yeah, I will. Uh, I, will make, I will make a call and see if we can get one out to you. Mm -hmm. um, but it'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. I mean, I can <laughs> sit here for an hour and just go through every picture and go, "Oh my god!" Yeah, they've all reliving. Yeah, those were those were great days, man. Like playing shows with you guys and just Watchtower alone was just like insane back then. It was. Yeah. Yeah, the quote on the back is uh by some guy. Well, it's it's me. Uh it says the shows we this is on the hardcover right here. It says the shows we've all done together are some of the greatest moments of my life. Yeah. See, that does bring a tear to my eye. Yeah, right it's not it's not wrong at all. It's like mm -hmm. I can't It's true. It's hard to uh it's hard to to not have some kind of strange feeling about how fast all of that stuff was happening. Yeah. You think about from like 83 to like 86, when you moved to LA, that's a flash in time. That's like that. Totally. And the so much that, stuff going on. Oh my God. And the changes and the things that you did and wanted to do and were trying to do and that you've done. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. The energy back then—it's just when you're when you're that young and you're and you're that you know, and it was just cool. You know, it's just like the whole the whole scene was was brand new. So it was just like, and we were all just so determined. You know, it was like that energy and that that thing and doing shows together and just doing it was and it, it, at, and at any cost. It, at any cost. 
on a mission, yeah. like it was our lifeline. Like if we didn't do it, that something was totally. like bad was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Dave, it was Dave, the best, man. Yes. I agree. Dave, thanks Dave. so much for spending a couple hours with us today, man. Yes. It was all, it was awesome picking your brain. Yeah, Thanks for having me, you guys. That was awesome. Congrats on a, on a career that's not yet over, but, uh, you've already made quite a mark and, uh, we're, uh, we're happy for you and proud to call you a, one of our own as a Texas guy, even though you're in Wisconsin yeah. now. But uh, <laughs> I'm um, still a Cowboys fan. Yeah. Oh, well, I won't hold that against you. Uh, uh, <laughs> you. You may be a Cowboys fan, but you're also a great drummer. So that sort of balances it out. <laughs> Cowboys. And, uh, thanks buddy, for but... being cool to my kid when we saw you uh, at the Sepultura show a couple of weeks ago, uh, of course, man. ago or whatever. He enjoyed meeting you. Uh, and... Uh, We'll look for you the next time you're through town with Sacred Reich. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. On behalf of my co-host. Thank you, guys. Jason, yeah. On behalf of my co-host, Jason McMaster, I'm Metal Dave Glessner, along with our special guest, Dave McLean from Sacred Reich with us today on the Talk Louder podcast. Thanks, Dave. Awesome. Thanks, you guys. <laughs>